Welcome to the Girl Gang Craft Podcast, where we dive in deep to all things business, wellness, creativity, and activism for artists and entrepreneurs. We talk with impactful, female-driven companies and founders for an inside look at the entrepreneurial experience, where you'll come away with tangible steps to elevate your business. Are you ready? I'm your host, Phoebe Sherman, founder of Girl Gang Craft, artist and designer, and marketing obsessed. We're here to learn together how to expand our revenue, implement new organizational techniques, and cultivate best business practices as we work towards creating a life doing what we love. Let's get started. We are so excited to have Shirley Johnson here on the Grog and Craft podcast today. Shirley Johnson is a licensed psychotherapist and practicing energy healer and yoga teacher based in Oakland, California. Passionate about self-care and connecting to intuition and one's sensuality, Shirley leads a number of workshops supporting people to connect with their inner wisdom and healer. In her clinical practice, she works with adults and couples around intimacy, money, racial identity, self-confidence, sexual desire, and sexuality. Shirley is trained and certified in Hatha, Kundalini, Prenatal, and Vinyasa Yoga. We were so lucky to have Shirley speak at the Gogan Craft Small Biz Summit last year. Her workshop entitled Money Moves was a crowd favorite, and Shirley and I actually met teaching yoga together here in Oakland, California. Hey, Shirley, welcome to the Girl Gang Craft Podcast. Thanks for being here. Hi, Phoebe. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Yay. Do you want to uh, start by telling our listeners a little bit about your background and how you came into these healing modalities? Sure. Yeah. And as I think about this, it almost, it feels relevant to everything we're talking about today. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in and supporting. I am, as mentioned, a psychotherapist and an energy healer and yoga teacher. And many years ago, so I took a very academic route in high school and undergrad college. And even after I graduated from college, I went on to work in finance in New York, where I'm from and then went on to work in corporate real estate development. And what happened when I was working in real estate was that I started to develop a rash all over the core of my body. This was a very, I'd say, demanding job, or at least the person I worked for was very demanding. And I was a young, probably 25, 26-year-old who didn't fully understand boundaries and being able to say no to people you work with. And so I manifested this stress rash, essentially, that I didn't know where it was coming from. And when I went on vacation, the rash went completely away. And I was aware, okay, it it like really woke me up to there is a big correlation between the body and the mind. And this somatic form is always giving us information. And it woke me up also to the amount of stress that I was engaging in at work daily was unsustainable. And so that really helped me as an adult start my own yoga practice. That's what brought me to going to yoga practice. I had practiced on and off different times, but more because I'd go with my mother or, you know, there was a class at college, but this helped me to actually realize I needed stress support. And I knew that the answer was probably not going to be in allopathic medicine. So this began the journey of me working with energy and really looking at the mind-body connection. 
And then how did you get into therapy and how did you make your way to Oakland, California? Oh, so, you know, this path, this journey, I started and I kind of never stopped. So I started, as mentioned, I began my yoga practice practicing any kind of yoga form I could. I studied, then I went on to study and train as a naturopath with a teacher. And when I went and did my first yoga teacher training, I went to India and I thought I was going to come back. I had this fantasy of, I'm going to come back from this training. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be quote unquote healed. I'm going to just be more I had all these ideas and I came back and I was very depressed. And I say this sometimes when I teach in yoga teacher trainings, because a lot of folks have this fantasy that yoga is going to quote unquote, fix my life or fix the things I don't like about my life. And what I find actually happens is that yoga does do that on a level, but it doesn't do it until it brings all the stuff into your awareness and consciousness, because we cannot heal what we are unconscious of, and we cannot heal what we do not feel. So I came back and I was like, oh, shoot, like I was probably one of the most depressed states I had been. And I realized that the control mechanisms I had been using in my life in the past was often, you know, doing a lot of binge dieting and thinking that somehow, you know, controlling my weight, which is very common amongst folks in this culture, was going to fix my problems or that, you know, my looks were the the source of my problems. But I knew at that point, this is beyond this surface level. And so I, I went and began my own therapy treatment. And I remember at one point, my therapist said to me, she was like, I just look at you and I see a therapist. And I was like, huh, this was many, many years ago. And and then I, I was living at Kripalu. I moved to LA and I was working at a school teaching yoga in their PE department, a middle school. And I was getting, again, super stressed out, overwhelmed. My nervous system was overwhelmed every day with trying to manage 30 adolescents, quote unquote, manage, right? That's how you're taught to do with with young people. And I realized, okay, I'm not strong in trying to be with 30 adolescents. I was like, when I'm with like one or a small group, I really feel connected. So that kind of encouraged me to apply to graduate school. And I ended up moving up to the Bay Area to go to California Institute of Integral Studies to do my master's. And today you are both teaching yoga and seeing clients. You have a private practice, correct? Yes, correct. And how do you feel those two things integrate together or inform each other in these two separate but similar healing uh, modalities? Yeah, well, I had a clinical supervisor. My first clinical supervisor, when I was doing my hours post-grad school, she said to me, and I think it's a quote from, maybe it's from Freud or somebody in the psychology world. And the quote was, the body is the psyche hardened. So working with yoga and being in my own practice, teaching for quite some years, as well as studying for quite some years, has really helped me to understand at least my own body and be curious and have some ability to witness other bodies and the nuances, right, in our in our body language and how we move. And then going on to study psychology has supported me in really thinking about the link between, again, all of the invisible mind, mental, and psychic things that are at play and how they impact the physical form and, and seeing that dance between the two all the time. So while in my clinical practice, I do not use yoga. I don't do yoga therapy. I'm not, I'm not technically a somatic therapist. 
However, I do call on the breath a lot in my practice because breath is one thing that I think is essential in yoga and also in working specifically with folks who are healing their nervous system and are also integrating from traumatic experiences. And how does your own yoga practice come into play with all of this? Mm, Good question. My own yoga practice, for one, is my self-care. And it's, it's, I mean, my yoga asana practice is really great for the amount of hours that I sit a day. Having a yoga asana practice, in the past, it was more vinyasa and hot yoga base. That was great for really feeling my back stretch, literally strengthening my back in order to be able to do the amount of sitting I do on a daily basis or on some days a week basis. And I also practice uh, kundalini yoga, which I love for building the ability to witness myself and building the ability to stay neutral, neutral neutral-minded, which I think is very essential for the type of therapy that I do and what I see at least be useful to many folks. And it's been useful to me with my own therapist of having a therapist who is able to hold a lot of compassion and non-judgment and curiosity so that we can come into the room and be completely honest, especially about the things that we don't tell anyone because we're so ashamed about or we think is so abnormal. Mm -hmm. And what does your uh, teaching look like these days, maybe before COVID and and during COVID? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I'll say my yoga practice has changed because the studio I teach at is, is physically not open and my apartment does not get warm enough to do hot yoga. And taking classes online is difficult for me, but I've been leaning into taking slower classes. I realize faster paced classes online are hard for me. But my teaching practice, I was teaching one class a week in person, a 90-minute kundalini yoga and meditation class at Anasa Yoga in Oakland and have since taken it on as an online class. So it's the same time, Wednesday mornings, but it's online. Okay. So let's pivot a little bit. And it is April 3rd on the recording of this podcast. And we've been in shelter in place for, I don't know, two and a half weeks, perhaps something like that. I've lost track of time, but we are in this global pandemic. And at least in California and multiple states, we are in shelter in place. And, you know, at this time of crisis, we are heading towards a recession or maybe a depression. Uh, People are in crisis mode. There's various levels of this happening right now as, you know, some people still have their jobs. They're just working at home. Other people have lost their jobs. Some people have their kids home. Some people are still working out of the house. Um, So there's, you know, various degrees of the economic situation. And then of course, there's various degrees of their relationship to the actual health situation. So, you know, as a therapist or a healer and a general community maker and space holder, what sort of themes are you seeing right now as people react to the time? Yeah, that's a beautiful way that you phrase the question. And I think I'm seeing the first thing that comes to my mind is I'm really seeing what a workaholic culture we live in. And when I say workaholic, I mean the addiction to working and the addiction to doing all the time, being on. And the way that I'm seeing that is because so many folks, not everyone, obviously, 
but many folks are being bound to stay at home or are choosing to stay home for lots of great reasons and are really limited in how they can, quote unquote, support this cause. Unless you're a trained medical professional, there is very little that the common person can do. We can give money per se, but we can't really be on the ground because this time is calling for people to actually be home. So one thing I'm noticing a lot with clients is this theme of, I don't feel like I'm doing enough. And we see this also in social media around, you know, here's a million things you could be doing at home. You can learn this and do that and do this. And it's very interesting to see how much attachment there is to constantly doing and showing the world what you're doing and proving that you're enough through doing. And so I'm seeing the response or sort of what happens now is that a lot of people are questioning their worth and their value in a society that has already sort of trained them to think that their value was in being and overdoing all the time. And then that turns, I think, into a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression, and a lot of feelings that also our culture is trained or trains people to tell them that they should not be feeling. Shouldn't feel sad. You shouldn't feel anxious. Where all of these are very normal things to be feeling at a time like this. So one thing is the workaholism and the sort of shadow of workaholism and the shadow of sort of like this hustler culture that we live in. The other thing that I think I'm seeing is a lot of grief and a lot of people who are feeling really fatigued, myself included, people who went right into logistics mode two and a half weeks ago, right when shelter in place at least was instilled here in the Bay. People went right into, okay, I got I to gotta figure out how to work online or I got to figure out how to pay this month's bills, et cetera, et cetera. I got to figure out how to take care of my kids, how to school my kids, how to manage having kids at home and working. And, and now that we've been in this mode for two and a half weeks now, a lot of people are reporting feeling exhausted physically, needing more sleep. And I believe part of this is that many of us were in shock and are still in shock and our physical bodies are having a response to that shock and to the grief of, for folks who are losing people physically, for folks who are, you know, dealing with having loved ones transition, and also grieving the loss of our lives and our lifestyles, you know, grieving the communities that we are not able to sit in person with, grieving not being able to freely go on a hike or take walks wherever we choose to. There's a lot of grief there. And so there's five stages of grief, denial, sadness, anger, bargaining, and acceptance. And they're not linear. So they're happening at any given time. So again, all of these I think would be really are all present at any given time. Yeah, that's a lot. And I have felt personally all of those things. You said that so eloquently. I think I mean, I personally tend to go into logistics mode. That's how I handle things. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, for my income, I at least think I have to go into logistics mode, right? To the fight or flight mode. And my, my thing is to always, you know, I fight back. And then taking the space to feel things, you know, even if I had a, a whole plan for this shelter in place, you know, I'll wake up crying and I can't do anything. And so, you know, this full range of emotions is so real and we sort of have these windows 
into how everyone else is feeling, you know, whether you're living with people or we're all, you know, hopping on Zoom with people or through social medias. So it's sort of these windows into how everyone else is handling things. And while we do that, tend to keep an eye on how everyone else is living their lives at this time of social media and internet, it's sort of this weird uh, dichotomy in this time how everyone's handling the shelter in place, right? Is there a right way to handle this? Is there a wrong way? Should I be doing this? Do I need to be doing more? Should I be resting more? That person's exercising more than me. Do I need to get outside? So yeah, I just, it's, it's interesting. (laughs) And I think this idea of shock is really interesting as well, because we thought this could happen. You know, we have these movie depictions of this happening and it looks very different than what it's actually like right now. And, you know, it really is on this crazy global scale. And I think there is a lot of disbelief. And I think it's interesting that you said that that moving through shock, things aren't necessarily tangible or you don't know like the immediate impact of how things are. And so I think remnants of that happening, crashing your physical body and feeling fatigued, I think is a really interesting point as well. And I definitely have personally experienced really ups and downs with my energy as well. Mm -hmm. Me too. (laughs) So, I mean, what are, you know, I don't want to be always so solution oriented. (laughs) But I mean, do you have any uh, suggestions for people to take space to feel how they're feeling or, you know, recommend pausing or do you have any advice? Yeah, well, my offering and invitation, because I try to stay away from giving advice because I believe everybody will know what's best for them if they tune into themselves. And one thing I want to say is that I think what we're seeing or what I'm seeing is also everybody has different needs in this moment. And so comparing ourselves to the next person, right? And like you mentioned, when we are maybe watching a lot of Instagram stories and we see that, you know, 20 people are doing push-up challenges and we're not, we tend to compare ourselves. And the comparing, I think right now is really not useful and not productive and is just a way to keep us actually from feeling what we actually feel. So a few things that I would invite folks and that I'm inviting folks to do and myself as well is one, to be really patient with yourself. You cannot rush your feeling. We cannot rush, you know, this pandemic's pace. We cannot rush certain aspects, right? And so slowing down so that we can actually make time to feel, but also to not be like, okay, I slowed down today. So I'm supposed to feel something. I'm supposed to feel X, Y, Z. Of like, you might slow down today and the feeling may come to the surface in two days. Feelings and emotions are not rational or logical. So they don't come just by us thinking them into coming. The other thing, you know, not everyone has the luxury of, of doing these things that I'm talking about. So I'm I'm aware of that as I say these things, right? For folks who have children, I think there is not necessarily as much time to, to even be like, I'm going to have time for myself today. Lots of my friends who have children who are now at home while they're working, it's a joy in many ways. And for many of them, they are also really aware of being like, I am exhausted by 12 p.m. So being really gentle with oneself, I think, is essential. 
the image that just came to me is treating ourselves like we're infants and babies, having that same kind of gentleness and gentle approach. Being really harsh on ourselves right now, I don't think is going to actually be productive. Another thing is that, you know, I know there's so many people who are literally, you know, don't have money, literally are like, I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent, my bills, etc. And I work from a very energetic standpoint, so I know that this might not be useful to some folks, but I think it's important to also name that when we are really at high stress, we become it becomes harder to be creative and to take action. And so remaining in a state of high stress is often not going to lead us to have the idea that's going to give us some extra income for the month or take the action that we need to take to get that extra income or to, you know, figure out whatever our resource needs are. And so doing things consciously to slow down how we are keeping stress in our body, I think is really important. It can be having a dance party at home. It can be going and taking a walk if you live in an area where it's safe enough to do that. At least right now, I think we're still allowed to take walks. It can be meditating at home if you have a meditation practice or would like to have one. It can be taking showers or taking a hot bath. It can just be limiting our caffeine consumption or certain foods or beverages that we know create more stress in our body and create more anxiety in our bodies talking to our friends. You know, it doesn't have to be anything super technical. It can be the things of just like taking a bath, taking a shower, putting lotion on slowly, taking a nap, etc. Yeah. Do you have any offerings for people that are sharing their home with their partners or their roommates or their kids? Any sort of ways to navigate those things when, you know, I've experienced our energetic levels and our emotional levels are all over the place and on their own timeline. So I've been noticing I've had some really up days and when my partners had down days and vice versa, you know, that happens generally, but I think it's heightened right now. Any sort of um, offerings around that? Yeah. Well, you know, bless everyone who is sharing space. I went to, I just went to a grocery store and I was getting annoyed with people who were closer than six feet, especially people who are like kind of hovering right around me. I already have a thing about personal space. And so this is really heightening my awareness of how people don't have the same personal space guidelines that I do. And then I was checking out and the person who was rigging up my groceries was like, yeah, we're all learning together. And I was like, oh, like that's a much kinder approach than like, this person needs to get away from me. So I think I want to offer those words, you know, to folks who are sharing space with whoever, um, but their living space is you all are learning together. So I think one is Also being able to clearly communicate with the folks you live with and ask for certain things that you might need and be able to negotiate those things. So some folks might need quiet. And so there might be room to have clear communication with the folks you're living with or sharing space with to say like, it'd be great if for one hour, or I would like to ask that one hour a day we keep everything silent. There's no TVs on. We're mindfully making or not making noise, you know, like being able to communicate those things so that there can be negotiating. And someone else might be like, yeah, and I would like for us to make sure we're cleaning the bathroom, et cetera. So everyone gets to say their needs or ask for their needs. 
The other thing that I've definitely been saying to folks who are coupled in this is that it's important. Obviously, I think a lot of people in relationship are really thankful and sometimes to have another person or other people around them. And I think it's also important that people get their alone time as well, right? So even though you might live with your beloved and be really thankful, or you might be, you know, spending more time with them, that also you still have your time for your own self-reflection, for your own process, for your own spaciousness. I think for people who are really sensitive to other people, this is going to be really essential. Like you were just saying, when you live with someone and one person's energy is one way and another person's energy is another way. My my dear friend, Mariam Hasnea always says, like, I don't match energy, right? Like it's important that just because someone else might be having a funky mood, if you're feeling really upbeat, that you don't try to match their funkiness and vice versa, right? That you wouldn't expect that if you're feeling funky, that the person you're sharing space with would need to come to your funkiness to interact with you. So I think of being really, really clear about what emotions are yours and therefore am choosing not to take on someone else's is important right now because most of most people's nervous systems are already overloaded. We don't have much more room to take on on other people's stuff and bless all the healthcare workers who are literally doing that every day because they're not only taking on the physical health elements that they're interacting with, but they're also taking on all the mental health elements as well. The fear, the panic, the sadness, the grief, they're being exposed to that daily. Yeah, I think that's a great offering, not advice, back to the, you know, sitting down and sort of having a roundtable meeting and asking for your needs. I think it was you actually who posted it was just like a, a sign on a door or something. I think you posted it saying, I can't read your mind. Ask me for what you need or mm-hmm. something like that. And that came to me at a day when I was expecting someone else to read my mind. So that was like, yes. And I think we do that all the time. We want our partner or a family member or whoever, the world at large, to know what we need in that moment. And there's no way that anyone can do that. So I think advocating for your emotional, physical, and, you know, wellness needs to both whoever you are cohabitating with and also yourself. I think Mm -hmm. I often am unsure what I need. And I think uh, that check-in in itself is super important. Yeah. And I'd say to folks, don't stop doing this when shelter in place is lifted or when the the way that we're living is not so restricted. Like this is essential for, for healthy relationships, not just our romantic relationships, but our professional relationships, our friendships, our family relationships as well. Yeah. So do you want to talk about what some negative consequences of living in anxiety are? How, what sort of effects that has on your nervous system? and your living in general? Sure. So I think about anxiety a little differently than probably how most people learn about anxiety. One thing I want to say about anxiety is that anxiety is simply an emotion. All emotions, sadness, fear, happiness, anger, excitement, et cetera, et cetera, are only energy. And the energy of the emotion is information. It is trying to communicate something with the person, with consciousness, that is not being able to be received in communication through the brain or through the senses, right? 
we might not be able to see the danger, but we we feel fear, right? So our emotions are very important. One thing I will say about anxiety is that the way I think about anxiety is that we are in the future. We're thinking about the future. So anytime I'm experiencing anxiety, I'm aware I'm not present. That's one. Two, I also would invite people to start making friends with their anxiety. Anxiety is not going to go away. For most people, again, including myself, when I have bouts of anxiety, the first response I have is, oh my God, I want this to get as far away from me as possible. And one thing that I'm learning as I manage my own anxiety and and work with lots of anxiety with different people is that if the anxiety is not felt and not consciously felt, it will be harder for it to move through the person. So I know most people are probably like, make friends with my anxiety. This chick is tripping. But I will say, try it out. Get to understand your anxiety because your anxiety is giving you information. Think of it as a friend who is giving you information. So when that anxiety comes for me, again, I'll speak for myself, the information sometimes I'm getting is, oh, I'm getting too far ahead of myself. I'm already thinking about June and today is April 3rd. So that anxiety then is my friend who is inviting me to come back to the present moment. So then to go into what are the some of the negative consequences of living, or I'm going to say thinking about the future all of the time, is that one, we're not in the present moment. And the negative consequences of that is that we're actually not interacting with humans or with whoever we have to interact with or with life in the present moment. And it becomes more difficult to create change to be creative, to be resourceful when we are not present. We can be in the future and thinking about the future. How many times has this happened when we're so caught up in something that is, you know, two months down the line that we miss the opportunity that's present right in front of us? On a physiological standpoint of constantly thinking about the future, we're often leaving our physical body. And when we leave our physical body, we tend to not take care of it or hear our physical body's messages. We know that long-term anxiety, meaning people who are constantly in anxiety because they have not been able to, for whatever reason, it has not subsided, which happens to many people. And I know it's happening for a lot of folks right now. The more we live in a culture that already perpetuates going very fast and moving in the future. So most people have a low-grade anxiety just normally. And then you put something like what's happening now into place and people's anxiety skyrockets. Very stressful on our nervous system. Our nervous system contains all the nerves that run through the body in order to communicate with each other. So the nervous system is made up of nerves and the job of the nerve tissue is it stores memory And so the nervous system is like a learning system. So everything that's happening, we are learning. And then we start to communicate with our body. And this can create a lot of stress in our body. We have two parts of our nervous system, the parasympathetic nervous system and the sympathetic nervous system. The parasympathetic nervous system is often called the rest and digest part. So it's the part that does the sort of involuntary digesting of our food, breathing at a healthy rate. And the sympathetic nervous system is the part of the nervous system that most of us are running from every day, which is moving us very quickly. It is getting us from point A to point B. And it also can be the part that's taking action all the time. So when we're in that place of taking action all the time, we can tend to 
our, excuse me, our parasympathetic nervous system can weaken. So that means our digestion and our sleep, right? The rest portion gets thrown off. And many of us know that if our digestion and our rest gets thrown off, we're then dealing with digestive issues. We're then dealing with the sleep issues that lead to so many other issues, issues in our endocrine system, issues with hormones. So it's really important that if we are experiencing anxiety, that we actively start to pay attention to it. Ignoring anxiety will not integrate it into the system or mitigate its symptoms. I think that is sort of very reflective on the time we are in right now as we literally are sort of lacking the ability to plan into the future. Yes. So we are being pulled into the present collectively, which is not the normal way we're necessarily doing things. And so that can in itself be sort of a shock to our system when we have no idea how long we're going to be in all this. And we're forced by all the outside sources to truly take each day at a time. Yeah. And one thing I'll add, or, or that I think from my own personal practice, is that we've been in the illusion that we can control things and that at any given moment, we cannot be surprised. We live in a culture that is, you know, literally we're thinking of the technology boom and everything becoming an algorithm and a way to strategize how you can make this thing turn into that thing, et cetera. And while there's lots of beautiful parts of technology, I'm so thankful for it. I'm also aware of what it has done to the collective mind in us thinking that we are immune to completely not knowing that people are so surprised. And it's a delusion that we would otherwise, everything would be normal. We don't know what could happen any moment. And that's in our personal lives, right? Anything can happen. We can get sick. We can get into an accident. We can win the lotto. You know, we don't know. And so part of all of this is also, to me, it's what's been helpful is really cultivating a connection and a relationship with the statement, I do not know. Because it's when we're uncomfortable with not knowing that we're trying to do so much and that we often get caught up in the anxiety. When we can learn to rest and trust in the great unknown, there can sometimes be more room to be present and to not put that stress on our body. And let me also say that is from many years of this inquiry. I am not a master of doing this. I, as I mentioned, I experience anxiety as well. I'm not shaming anyone for not doing this. And I also am just sharing from my own spiritual practice what has been present for me for many years. So what has personally helped you in this time? Moving extremely slow. I really do not have the bandwidth to think any further than today. It's, I already can feel if I start to do it, my whole nervous system, I am going to feel my whole nervous system get activated. Again, this is, I'm very sensitive to my body and to the signals my body gives me. So I know that thinking about the future is not where my health and my presence is, especially I'm working and I'm still working with a lot of clients and it would behoove me to put a lot of extra stress on myself on things I cannot control because part of my work is to be a container for other people and to support them. So it's important for me to slow down. It's important for me to really have a strong meditation practice. I mentioned that 
practicing hot yoga is very difficult at my apartment that's always cold. However, what my body has been asking for is yin yoga, which is a very slow yoga asana practice where you slow down and hold postures for three to five minutes. Insight meditation, so sort of classic meditation, sitting up silently, that is a daily practice. Kundalini mantras, chanting, and kundalini breathwork has been really calling me, as well as yoga nidra and Qigong. My body is asking for a lot of gentle movement. That's been really supportive. Taking baths, taking baths with herbs that I I collect on walks. So taking walks outside has been lovely and helpful to keep my body moving, but in a really gentle way. And trying to not look at a screen all the time is useful because going from not looking at a screen to all of a sudden adding five hours a day to looking at a screen is very difficult for for me. And honestly, slowing down and not getting too far ahead. And I'll say that I, in some ways, I feel like I've been trained for this moment in having worked with a therapist, my personal therapist. I am still seeing my therapist. I don't foresee myself not doing that. I've been with her for six years having someone to continue to process my emotions with and to hold my emotions with is useful. And, and that, you know, I grew up in a, in a system and situation where we had to be creative with our resources. We had to borrow things from people. We had to make things stretch. And so in some ways, being able to, to do that is supporting me, being able to tap into and remember all the resiliency and resourcefulness of the communities that I was raised and came up in, and really the resourcefulness and resiliency of my ancestors, continues to humble me and continues to to remind me that I have been given so much and my job is to continue to fill myself up and be able to give what I'm able to to other folks. Do you think there's an opportunity for learning in this time? Absolutely. There is an opportunity always. My therapist just said to me the other day, opportunity and danger are always present on the same frequency, right? Where there's something that's possibly dangerous, there's also opportunity. I think there's lots of opportunity to learn, to learn about oneself. Another theme I'm seeing is that people really are having to be with themselves, to be with all the little parts of themselves that maybe because they're too tired most of the time or because they're working in a certain setting, they can't see or they don't have to see. A lot of people are getting insight into themselves in a new way right now. So when we are able to know ourselves, my opinion is that we really gain wisdom. So I think we are all getting an opportunity to learn about ourselves, how we show up under pressure, how what we value. You know, I think a lot of people after this are going to realize that some of the work and projects they have been devoting their time and precious energy to might not actually be what they think is useful for the planet and for their energy right now, right? So we get to learn about our values and we get a chance to possibly start to live our values. And obviously there's lots of, you know, on a very physical level, there's lots of learning opportunities. Lots of places are offering free courses online, et cetera. But one thing to say is that when we are in a traumatic response mode, it's very difficult to learn and to take new information into our brain. 
So for folks who are feeling very traumatized or are having a lot of trauma responses show up in their body, again, be gentle with yourself. You do not have to go up and sign up for all the different classes on this site and that site. You might need to sleep. You might need to just make sure you are taking care of your bare bone basic needs. Does it feel when you're holding space for people right now a certain way, more precious or more challenging in both your therapy practice and your yoga guidance? Any sort of different energy that you're feeling right now? Well, yeah, working through a screen is very different than working with people in person. And I would say I'm a very in-person person. I like being face-to-face with people versus on the phone or on a video with people. And I've known that about myself for a long time. So it does, it's a different feeling because I have to push through my own aversion. And, you know, I'm quite surprised by how much I can still connect with my clients and my students through online and the phone. My yoga students have been so patient, so generous with their patience because the first week I was having, I was struggling with figuring out, you know, the placement of my computer and my internet was super wobbly that day. And I was so, felt so much shame around sort of not perfecting all the digital stuff. And they were so generous and they were like, it's all good. And so that was really sweet to be able to receive the generosity. And I know a lot of other people of my friends have have mentioned their students or taking classes with teachers and feeling a lot of compassion and patience for their teachers and not being like, oh, this person can't get their, their angle together. Like I'm signing off. So I'm noticing that patience. And I think there is a difference. I'm thinking about the difference of being a therapist right now because one of the things that's interesting in my field is that we're thinking about the meta of what's going on as well as what's going on. And so my clients that are experiencing this pandemic, I'm also experiencing this pandemic. So we have a shared suffering, if you will, that we're both experiencing. And that's different than some of the other days where some of my clients and I do share certain identities where we or certain histories in our life of sharing certain moments of suffering. But this is different because we're all sort of caring for each other a little differently than we might be before the the outbreak really happened. So I'm noticing gentleness and a little more patients with yoga folks. And I'm also noticing with my clients and my practice, you know, a sense of connection, even though we might be very different on certain levels, a sense of connection about patience and compassion for like, we're all going through this pandemic experience right now. And it looks different, right? It looks different for me than it looks for the next person, but we're all experiencing it in some way. Yeah, I think this community thing is really beautiful. I mean, just seeing this collective compassion for each other and this collective sort of checking in on your neighbor, I think has been a beautiful gift. Is there anything else that you've noticed that you're particularly grateful for right now? Well, my noticing, and I could be off, is that that there's something different happening in nature, in the natural world. And the other day I looked outside of my window and I saw two squirrels mating right outside my door during the daylight. And I thought about how so many animals have been forced to hide during the daytime, not do the rituals they would do during the daytime because of human beings and the way that human beings walk upon this earth in a very human-centric 
way. And seeing animals be present, seeing water look cleaner, seeing the sky look cleaner. Again, I don't know if the sky or the water is cleaner, but I have this perception that it is, is inspiring. Because one thing I try to not lose track of, but it's a, it's a practice to stay connected to, is that I am nature. That human beings are natural, are part of the natural world, and we're animals. We're not just, you know, computer punching beings. Like we have a place in the natural world. And I feel hopeful about the possibility of more people reconnecting with the natural world compassionately and being thoughtful about our consumption, being thoughtful about where we're buying things from, being thoughtful about how we're impacting the planet and her resiliency. Yeah, I was above the Bay Area today at Tilden. There was no one there. And I mean, it was so clear. So I also have that perception that there is less prints from humans right now. So I I have hope for that as well. Um, I wanted to switch a little bit. And this is still sort of on topic, but you spoke at the Girl Gang Craft Small Business Summit last year and your workshop, Money Moves, was definitely a crowd favorite. <laughs> and you discussed abundance mindset, which is a huge buzzword right now, if you will. Can you first explain what this abundance mindset means to you and talk about how we can sort of continue to cultivate this abundance mindset when things are limited? Yeah. Well, thank you for having me at the Girl Gang Craft Small Biz Summit. It was really fun. Abundance mindset to me is it connects back to nature. It connects back to sort of exactly what I was just mentioning about the natural world. It connects to seeing myself as also a cyclical being, just like the earth and how generous planet Mother Earth is to us with giving us fruits and vegetables and herbs and all types of different medicine in many different forms, right? The natural world to me, is a way of connecting or being able to visualize and see this abundance mindset when I can't see it. And part of the abundance mindset is a reminder that just the way the earth is bountiful, that there is bounty in my life and that there's many ways to be bountiful and receive bounty. Another part of it is being able to connect and understand or try to understand and be really conscious of how we work with abundance or how we are identifying abundance. So that's like a sort of vagueish description of abundance. And as I talk about it, I feel very conscious of abundance mindset. So if we're thinking about abundance mindset being this ability to see abundance in all moments, even when it is physically not present, right? So it's like the ability to see the opportunity, the ability to see what is rich around you, even if it doesn't look the way that our society has said it looks. So for some people, it may be like, just because my bank account only has $100 in it and I got lots of things to buy, but I'm looking around my home and I have a bed to sleep on, I have 
clean air that comes through my window. I have, you know, et cetera, whatever the things are that a person may have access to. I have my health, right? I have my physical body. I have 10 working fingers, 10 working toes. I have two nostrils that breathe. It's not taking anything for granted and not being so bound to the material world that you can only see abundance when it is in the form of a particular way. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So that's that's part of the abundance mindset. And I, I want to say, you know, I really bow to folks who are like, in this moment, are looking at their bank account and there is zero or there's negative because this is when it's very difficult sometimes to maintain abundance mindset. And I don't want to at all diminish the experience of people who are literally having to figure out how to put food on their on their plate, on their family's plate, or who are struggling with with rent and other very basic needs that all humans sh- should have guaranteed anyway. So I'm not at all trying to bypass that it is very real when we have negative $100 in our bank account. That is a feeling, right, that we often get. And part of this practice can be, one, still being able to see what you do have, still being able to trust in that unknown, right? That like, even though my bank account looks like this right now, it does not mean it will look like this forever. Anything can happen at any single moment. That's what this pandemic is also teaching us. Anything can happen in one moment that'll change everything. And it can go in any direction. In this moment, we might be seeing it as it quote unquote negative, right? This pandemic has impacted us and now people can't leave their houses. Lots of people are losing their jobs. People are sick and dying, et cetera. The same thing is true though on the positive end. Anything can happen at any given moment. Someone comes into a large sum of money out of nowhere. Someone is given a job offer that they would have never expected to get. So when we live in that unknown mystery place, there's a way that we never know what's going to happen, but we're not thinking it's going to be a catastrophe. There's also room for miracles to happen. So this abundance mindset is also believing in miracles, believing in your needs being met, believing that your prayers can be answered, believing beyond the logic that many of us have been taught. This only happens when you do this and calling it and saying, no, I believe in a a divine power that is also hearing me and that will and wants to see me thrive and survive. Part of, I think, what can support people in cultivating this mindset, and again, I bow to folks who are, you know, really seeing that negative number, that zero, and trying to figure out a way. And I don't at all mean to diminish anyone's experience. And if it feels aligned for you, I think some ways to cultivate abundance mindset, especially in times of financial hardship, is one, to practice gratitude, to really think about and reflect daily on what you're thankful for. To me, I always come back to my health. You know, it's in those moments when I feel sick that I'm like, dang, my health is so valuable. So for those of us who are healthy right now, may we not forget that. May we have fervorous gratitude for our health. I think it's Hippocrates who said, our health is our wealth, right? You can have all the money at this time, but if you're sick in a hospital, that money doesn't mean anything right now. So not looking past all the gifts that some of us may have. We might give thanks for our family. We might give thanks that we have someone we're able to hug every day. Not everyone has that right now. So to look for the things we're thankful for, for for our breath, for clean water, for internet, you know, we're so blessed in so many ways. 
And again, I'm not saying everyone has clean water and everyone has internet, but I'm thinking about some things that I have that have become so regular in my life that I don't always stop and say, thank you for this. I think gratitude, I think also being creative, getting in touch with your creativity. I believe that our creativity is a resource and our creativity is what will often lead us into spaces of divine grace and miracles. So if you're someone who has always loved cooking and and you have food to cook, then cook. If you're someone who likes drawing, get a pen and paper and start drawing. Just allow that divine creativity to move through you, however it wants to move through you. You like dancing, put on a playlist, put on your computer, whatever, and just dance. Or don't put any music on, just dance, 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 dance until you just fall to the ground. So again, those, I think, being able to do certain things that are in our sort of creative circuit, give thanks, identify gratitude. I'm very connected to prayer and meditation. For me, prayer is essential. Making sure I'm staying connected with my ancestors daily, for me, helps to cultivate abundance mindset and remembering that I am not on this walk alone. None of us are. Even if we don't have physical living family members who are present for us, we do have ancestors. If we don't know who our physical ancestors are, we also have the ancestors of the plants, the ancestors of the earth, right? The ancestors of trees, because all of those living beings were here before human beings were. So we can call on the natural world as our ancestors. We can call on um, people who may be our ancestors in a certain way. And for me, that's really helps to support with abundance mindset because it's a reminder of if some of these folks could do it, then I know they're going to look out for me and support me and also continuing to survive and thrive. Thank you so much, Shirley. As always, your words hold so much wisdom. So thank you so much for joining us. Can you tell everyone where our listeners can find you? Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Phoebe. Thank you to everyone for listening. And I'm on Instagram. My handle is Soulistic Wellness, S-O-U-L-I-S-T-I-C Wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S. That's also my website, soulisticwellness.com. So I post all the online offerings that I'll be doing on Instagram. So if you're curious about trying a kundalini meditation or another workshop online, please do reach out. Thank you, Shirley. Thank you, Phoebe. Have a great rest of your day. Okay, time for some real talk. We are living in tender times, and I, for one, am feeling the increased mental and emotional strain brought on by this uncertainty of this pandemic, and I know so many of you are too. We are all in this together, and we don't have to go it alone. Therapy can be a game changer and something that's been helping me deal with this roller coaster. So if you're thinking about therapy, now's a great time to take that first step or get back on that train. BetterHelp is your ticket to affordable, private online counseling anytime, anywhere. Within 24 hours of signing up, you can talk with a licensed professional therapist online. And if your therapist isn't a fit, no problem. You can easily change counselors until you find one that's right for you. I love how I can switch between text, chat, phone, and video chats with my therapist. It's there when I need it most, and right now that peace of mind is everything. Get started with BetterHelp and enjoy 10% off your first month when you enter the discount code GIRLGANGCRAFT. Head on over to BetterHelp.com slash GIRLGANGCRAFT to learn more. That's BetterHelp.com slash GIRLGANGCRAFT to learn more. I'll also share this link in the show notes for the podcast. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Girl Gang Craft Podcast. Head to girlgangcraft.com slash podcast for show notes and more. See you next time.